the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I'm joined by Bob Costa. Bob is with the Washington Post. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Costa Reports. And he is the exception to the rule I described in the Washington Post. It's up on the landing page right now about television news media because every Friday night he hosts Washington Week in Review, which may be the last island of sanity in television news, uh, where I think week in and week out I can count on an objective assessment of facts. Good morning, Robert. How are you? Good morning, you. Uh, tell me who was on your panel Friday night. I was dra- uh, driving and I didn't see it this Friday night. We had some excellent reporters. Uh, Pierre Thomas, the Justice Department correspondent for ABC News, a former Washington Post reporter. Jonathan Martin from the New York Times. Amna Nawaz from PBS NewsHour. And Paula Reed from CBS News, the White House correspondent. So, uh, Robert, have you had a chance to read my essay on television news, which is over at the Washington Post as we speak on the landing page? I have, Hugh. I never miss your, your, your work. What do you think of my assessment of the collapse of objectivity in the news? Well, Hugh, I can only speak for myself, but I would say I'm committed to the values that Gwen Eiffel uh, espoused, that Tim Russert espoused, that Marty Barron at the Washington Post advocates for every day, which is journalism with integrity, journalism based on reporting, journalism that's cool-headed and nonpartisan. Uh, it's an old-school approach. Uh, we do live in turbulent times in both the media and in the political realm. But I believe there's a craving for nonpartisan information that goes in-depth. And I can only do what I can do, Hugh, and that's stay steady with those values. And I believe you do. I actually believe that you are I, – I, let me play for you a handful of what – uh, of comments that Bill Barr made to Margaret Brennan yesterday, who I believe also strives to do what you do, Robert, uh, and hear what he said to her about the reporting on the events of last week. Here's the Bill Barr montage from yesterday's Face the Nation. The, the reporting is completely false on this. They were not peaceful protesters, and that's one of the big lies that the, the media is, 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 seems to be perpetuating. Three of my CBS colleagues. Let me let me get to this, because this has been totally obscured by the media. They broke into the Treasury Department and uh, they were injuring police. Here's what the media is missing. This was not an operation to respond to that particular crowd. It was an operation to move the perimeter one block. Devout Catholic Archbishop Gregory of Washington condemned what happened by gassing peaceful protesters. There there was no gassing. Is that accurate? No, that's completely false. That's completely false. Uh, Sunday night. The president did not demand that? No, he did not demand that. 
Six times in the course of an interview, Robert Costa, the attorney general faults the general reporting of the events of last week. I didn't even know that the uh, rioters had broken into the Treasury Department. And by definition, you move from demonstrator to rioter when you when you trespass that way. Uh, Six times. What do you make of the attorney general's assessment of the reporting last week? Well, the attorney general is a participant in this story. He is not a mere observer. He is someone who is in the vicinity of Lafayette Square when the president made the decision to walk across the square to St. John's Church. And it was originally reported by the Washington Post and others that he was personally involved in some of the logistic decisions. And then he said in the CBS News interview on Sunday that he was not necessarily involved in moving the crowd, that that was the responsibility of the park police and the Secret Service because they wanted to make sure they could move the vicinity of the crowd a block to make sure President Trump as the commander-in-chief, had a safe pathway to the church. And his role is complicated here, and the Post has done a lot of reporting, because he, he was looking at the crowd. As he said on CBS News, he did observe, in his view, different projectiles and different things being thrown. But based on the Post reporting and many other reports, this was a largely peaceful crowd when the president decided to move over around 7 o'clock on that Monday afternoon. Bill Barr disputes that, but I want to go to the bigger point. Bill Barr is most definitely a participant in the events of last week. My larger point is, so is the media, especially television news. Dan Rather once famously observed, news is where you look. The news looked last week in places designed to bend the story generally. And I believe every reporter who was there was a participant in that. And indeed, the controversy, as Selena Zito said last first hour on this show today, surrounding the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette is about journalists as participant. I am afraid that television news has become a participant in the news to an extent it has never been before. What do you make of my general fear, Bob, as, as, as I really do believe we're hemorrhaging credibility by we, meaning people who attempt to report news. We are hemorrhaging credibility because we've become participants. Well, being in a zone of protest does not necessarily make a reporter a participant. The Post local staff has dozens of people, for example, on the scene. And just because you're covering a protest or covering a war, let's say, doesn't mean you support either side in a war or in a protest. You want to have reporters on the ground telling the story of the protesters, also talking to law enforcement to make sure that the reporting is complete. And this is on the issue of race. This has been a a challenge for reporters going back decades. And it's not always easy or even uh, the correct way to go about it to just be totally uh, removed. You think about there's a great book about the Philadelphia Inquirer, former editor Gene Roberts, called The Race Beat about civil rights in the 1960s and how reporters had to cover civil rights in a vigorous way because it was getting no attention. And so sometimes reporters now are passionate about the story, but that does not necessarily mean they're taking a side in the debate. It's, it's a nuanced thing. It's not always done perfectly. Uh, but with the issue of race and civil rights, to just be passive at times uh, is a difficult thing to be when the, when the country is changing at such a fast pace. But here's my warning, Bob. If uh, journalism does not objectively cover race... It will, in fact, inflame race relations. If it does not objectively cover police reform, 
it will destroy police reform. If it does not press, for example, Democrats on the ludicrous demand to defund the police. And I did not see, and correct me if you did, and let's pause here, I'll ask you a question. Did you see Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, or any senior Democrat elected official asked to respond to whether or not they support defund the police other than the mayor of Minneapolis this weekend? I believe Speaker Pelosi was asked about it in recent days, perhaps at a press conference or over the weekend I saw her comment. This is something I was just talking about earlier today on Morning Joe. Defund the police is a good example of where the press can step in and step up. Defund the police is a slogan. It's used in different ways by different people. What exactly does it mean? Some people hear defund the police and they hear defund the entire police force. Others hear that phrase and hear uh, an encouragement for a constructive dialogue about the scope of policing in certain municipalities and cities. And House Democrats who are proposing legislation this week will be challenged repeatedly by reporters and others. Do they support defund the police? But already you see Reverend Sharpton, you see Senator Booker are saying we don't want to go as far as eradicating the police, but they Defund the police to some leaders in this country on the Democratic side means cutting the budgets of police. And that it means defunding parts of their programs, parts of their militarization that they may have gotten from different federal grants. And so it's, it's a d- debate that needs to go beyond the slogan. And it's the press's responsibility to help tell that story so it's not just slogan versus slogan in the public dialogue. Now, Bob, uh, you made a prediction. I predict the the press will not step up on this. They will not press on this. I do not know when Nancy Pelosi was asked. What was her answer? Uh, She she said House Democrats are focusing on their own legislation, which they're rolling out later Monday, which includes a National Police Oversight Commission and a ban on chokeholds by police officers. So she skipped. She did not answer. Is that is that a fair assessment? She did not answer what def- whether she supported defund the she police. She certainly has not endorsed the idea of defund the police. I've That's not seen different. About that but did she she was asked, what does it mean? Do you support it? Because what every Democrat in a fair and objective news environment, every Democrat would be asked, do you support defund the police? They would be pressed repeatedly. Do you support defund the police as happened in Minneapolis? It hasn't happened, Bob, because news is broken. I expect when you get back to it on Washington Week in Review on Friday night, you will press your panel. And until and unless people answer yes or no, as the mayor of Minneapolis finally said no, they have not been held to account. And media is going to give out passes, but not Bob Costa. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. I want to talk to you for a moment about a group I've done work with for years, ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. You've seen how your freedom is under attack? Go to townhallreview.com to find out how you can join Alliance Defending Freedom to help ensure the opponents of freedom don't dictate your future. That's townhallreview.com. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. Angry protesters want to turn public sentiment against the police, but their ugly tactics remind all sane observers how much we need the cops. Rioting, looting, arson, Molotov cocktails, graffiti, and vandalism show how vulnerable all citizens would be without the courage of police officers who put their lives on the line every day. Sure, you can find examples of bad or poorly trained cops, but they're far more rare in police ranks 
than our violent criminal elements in the ranks of the demonstrators. In a difficult moment, a time when Americans can't decide whether to emphasize economic recovery or continued precautions against COVID-19, the nationwide rioting harms both hopes. Literally, Thousands of already struggling businesses have been badly damaged, while assembling super spreader, densely packed crowds will only generate new spikes in the spread of the virus. No wonder most Americans love and value our police officers, without whom decent lives and livable cities could not exist. I'm Michael Medved. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.